Jesus is choosing this point to comfort them, to prepare them. So there's two main parts of this that I want to talk about. Obviously, there's in this world you will have trouble. I want to talk about trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And I want to talk about how we do that. Because I think quite often we're told, take heart or cast your care. It's not always clear how we're supposed to do that, what that's supposed to look like. So let's look at trouble first. So trouble, trials, suffering, basically it's all the same all interchangeable words quite often as Christians I think we expect trials to kind of appear in a vacuum we think that they're going to be these prepackaged things Um, they're going to be identifiable as trials Um, they're going to come into our lives everything's going to be great then this trial is going to come and we're going to pray about it. We're going to ask other people to pray about it. A few days or a few weeks later, everything's fine. Life's perfect again. We've learned something. That's not how trials work. I think, I think pretty much probably everyone in the room knows that. That's not how trials actually work. You can be in the midst of four or five things all at once, and then yet another trial will come along. Trials and suffering, are, it's, it's messy, it's painful, it's complicated. Now, I think sometimes as Christians we make our own suffering worse as well. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of, of talking yourself out of God's peace while praying. I've done this. I've done this a few times. So something will be on my mind. Something will be bothering me. I'll pray about it and I'll feel a sense of God's peace. Then I'll continue praying. and I might pray about someone else or something else. And I'll continue praying. And then I'll get to a point I think, actually, let me just go back to the first thing. Let me just go back to that. And I pretend that I'm praying about it, but I'm not. I'm just ruminating. I'm going over it. I'm, trying, I'm turning it around in my own mind, trying to find a solution to it. So I literally am talking myself out of the peace that God has just given me. It's the equivalent of going to the doctor. And the doctor bandages up your arm and says, how's that feeling? You say, yeah, it feels good. But let me just, let me just take this bandage off. Let me just show you where it, this is where it hurts, here, where I hit myself here. We make it worse. We make it worse for ourselves. Sometimes we sin, and sometimes it's the sin itself which brings about suffering. Sometimes we we completely ignore our part in bringing the suffering about. I think as Christians we need to have a very kind of a realistic idea about trouble in the world, about suffering. One of the most amazing pieces of scripture is, for me is Isaiah 40, 31, uh, where we're told, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not be faint. And I think very often we focus on the first bit. We focus on soaring on wings as eagles. And we should focus on that. That's victorious. But sometimes we ignore the glaring other point that's being made there, which is sometimes we're going to need the strength of God just to put one foot in front of the other and not faint. Sometimes we are going to be under so many trials, under so much suffering, it's going to take everything we have. We're going to need the strength of God to open our eyes and get out of bed in the morning. So we are going to experience trouble. The next question is, well, why? Why do we suffer? 
There have been books written about this. There have been, I mean, this has been addressed in the Bible, in the Psalms, you know, in, in the book of Job. This has been addressed for not just centuries, millennia. People have asked this question, why do we suffer? I can give you the answer, if you want it. The answer is we don't know. Very simple. We don't know. There might be reasons why we suffer. There might be specific things. That there's, you know, overarching reasons. But we don't actually know. One of the main... Well, a very big objection to Christianity, quite a famous objection to Christianity, is, well, if God is all-loving, he wouldn't allow suffering. If God is all-powerful, he would stop suffering. Therefore, God can't be all-loving. He can't be all-powerful. I would, I would switch that argument around, and I would say, well, if you believe that God is all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing, if you actually believe that God is omnipotent, omnipresent, is it not conceivable that there are reasons for suffering that we just don't know? That he has reasons, but we just don't know what they are. And as I say, there might be reasons that we suffer. So one of them, possibly, as Christians, we might suffer so that other people can see how we respond to that suffering. And that can be a witness to other people. One of the most kind of recent examples of this is, is Tim Keller, the theologian, the preacher, who died about three weeks ago. Uh, he had pancreatic cancer for three years. Um, in the early 2000s, I think, he had another type of cancer, and then he was in remission for that. Throughout that whole time, he was still preaching. He was still writing. He was still doing podcasts and interviews and whatever else. He died, and the way he died uh, is a real witness. It really shows us how to die as a Christian. One of the last things he said was, um, there is no downside to my leaving, not in the slightest. That's amazing. That's powerful. I'm not suggesting that he went through what he went through for that specific reason, only for that, to be a witness to other people. But it is, it is an amazing way that God shows us that actually we don't need to be afraid of death. It's not something that we need to fear. There's other people. There's Rick Warren. There's Joni Erickson Tada, who, who uh, had an accident in 1967. I think, how old was she? She was 17 years old. From the age of 17, she's been paralyzed uh, from the shoulders down. Then she had breast cancer, then she had uh, another type of cancer eight years later. She's written over 48 books. She's spoken all over the world about her faith. Again, it's an amazing testimony that God has been with her and God has carried her through everything she's gone through. Looking at the church, looking closer. I don't know every single person in this room, but I know enough people to know that there are people in this room who have suffered things that I think would probably destroy me. And those people come back every week, and those people worship, and they praise, and they sing, and they pray, and they encourage other people. And just that, just that act of turning up every week is a huge encouragement and is a huge testimony. We don't like to think about our suffering necessarily only being beneficial to other people. I don't. I don't like that. I'm selfish. If I suffer, I want to get some kind of reward for it. I want there to be something at the end of it for me. 
the problem with that is if that's true, if that's the line you're taking, then the opposite is also true. If when you suffer, you want the reward for it, that means when you sin, you need to pay the price for it. And we know that we don't. Another reason, another reason we might suffer is to shape us, is to change us, is to improve us. There's this great image by C.S. Lewis, and he says that we want God to keep us as a, as a quick sketch. Okay? We don't want him to create us as a masterpiece. Because a masterpiece gets drawn, and then it gets rubbed out, and then it gets colored in, and then it gets smudged, and then it gets changed. And all that change is painful. We don't want that. We, want, we just want to be a quick sketch. We just want to be, okay, just leave me, leave me as I am. But again, as C.S. Lewis says, that's not asking God for more love. That's asking God for less. Because it means we'll never fulfill that potential. Another reason we might suffer is to remind us to rely on God. So that we can exercise faith. The way this sermon came about is, is odd. Because, so, I had the idea... John 16.33, this is what I should um, preach on. And I prayed about it, and then, and I felt like I got confirmation from God. Yes, this is what I should pray about. Uh, this is what I should preach about. An hour and a half later, my son got ill, and it's this recurring thing, and it hadn't happened for three months. And then it happened, and then three days after that, it happened again. Then five days after that, it happened again. Then a week later, two weeks later, it happened again. It's still going on. We're still waiting to see a specialist, etc. It's still going on. I had problems with work. I had issues. It wasn't lost on me that an hour and a half after I felt confirmation from God that I should talk about trials, that I had trials thrown at me all over the place. Now, I thought, well, there's two ways of looking at this. Maybe it's to derail me. Maybe it's a spiritual attack. Maybe it's to stop me from preaching. Or maybe it's to inform me. Maybe it's to educate me. Maybe it's so that when I stand here talking to you, I know what I'm talking about. I don't feel like I need extra knowledge of <laughs> trials. But then, anyway. Um, but it's interesting because there's been many, many times in the early hours of various mornings when either my son's been ill or I've thought he's going to be ill or, and I can't sleep and I'm scared and I'm fearful. There's been many times where I've thought of things that, oh, actually, that would be really useful for this. That would be really useful for this sermon. Um, and that's kind of helped me as well because it's kind of reminded me there's a, there's a purpose. There's a purpose to the things that we go through. Whether we know what that is or not, there is a purpose. That leads me to the next point, which is we have to be okay with not knowing. We have to live in this tension. As human beings, we live in tension all the time. I'm not going to start going into quantum mechanics, quantum physics, dark energy, dark matter, but there, there are a million things. Scientists, as sci I, I, I'm not bashing scientists in the slightest. Scientists don't have an agreed-upon definition on, as, as to what life is. 
but we still, we're here, we're still doing what we're doing. Scientists still cure things all the time. We, we live in that tension of not quite understanding, not quite knowing, but we live in the tension of that. As Christians, there's even more stuff that we live in the tension of. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three distinct, let's say, entities, but one entity at the same time. But we live in that tension. Suffering is another thing that we have to live in the tension of. But we have to remember that we don't have all the information. We don't know why, but we have to trust that God does. And we need to be content that we may never know why we're suffering. We might know after we die, we might know the other side of eternity, but then we might not. And at that point, we might not even need to. Romans 8.18 tells us, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It doesn't mean that the things that happen to us aren't important. It doesn't mean that the things that happen are not painful. It does mean that they will be as nothing in light of eternity. The book of Job, again, shows us that there's more to what we go through than what we see. There is spiritual warfare going on behind the scenes. We're told our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're told that in Ephesians. We know this. Again, we don't have all the information to know why the things that happen happen in the way that they do. But we know there are things going on behind the scenes. We know that there is spiritual warfare going on. So that's trouble. And it's not very good. So let's talk about taking heart. How do we take heart? Firstly, and most importantly, I would say, by trusting God and knowing who he is. I very much wrote this sermon in the valley, I would say, not on the mountaintop. And that phrase kept coming to mind. I wrote this in the valley. I didn't write this in the mountaintop. I was in the trenches when I wrote this. A few weeks ago, uh, as part of the pre-service prayer meeting, someone had that as a word. The God of the valley is also the God of the mountaintop. And I've written that down because I wanted to mention that. This morning, in the pre-service prayer meeting, someone again mentioned that. The God of the valley is also the God of the mountaintop. And as that person said it, I thought, because they said it's from the Bible, and I thought, oh, I didn't realize that was from the Bible. I better actually find out. And I thought, how am I going to, I don't know how I'm going to begin to find out where that is in the Bible by the time I'm actually standing here talking. But then the person next to me said, oh, which part of the Bible is that from? So it's 1 Kings 20, 23, if anyone's interested. Um, so while I was writing this, again, in the early hours of the morning, I thought to myself, okay, what do I need right now? Right now, how I'm feeling now. What do I need? What's going to help me? And it always came down to the same thing. I just wanted to feel the presence of God. I needed God. I needed to trust. That's all it came down to. The problem with trust, and I've thought about this a lot, and there's no real way of getting around this. 
The problem is with trust is you can only exercise trust when things are uncertain. There has to be uncertainty. If you think about it, if you're with your husband or wife, you're with your partner, you're sitting and watching a film together. You don't need to trust that they're not somewhere else with someone else. They're sitting next to you. When they leave the house, there's uncertainty. But you trust them. But that is when you exercise the trust, when there is uncertainty. It's the same with God. We have to trust. And we can't have it both ways. We can't have the unlimited, undeserved grace that we trust God for on one side and then not trust him when things get difficult. And it's all very well saying, oh, Jesus died for us and it's this vague thing, it's this, it's, it happened a long time ago and we come to church and we talk about it and, and it's this remote thing. But actually, Jesus did die for us. There's this great Tim Keller quote. Jesus did not abandon you in the midst of his own suffering. Why would he abandon you now in the midst of yours? And we think about that. We think about Jesus on the cross. At any point, Jesus could have ended that. At any time. We know this from the Garden of Gethsemane. He says it. He says it to his... Um, uh, I've forgotten who he's, who, who he's talking to, but he says, do you not think I can, I can call my father? Essentially, do you not think I can stop this? He could have stopped it at any time, but he didn't. He didn't abandon us then. Why would he abandon us now? A big problem is our emotions. And emotion will trump intellect any day of the week. Absolutely any day of the week. I've been, I've studied psychology, I've been working in psychology, mental health, I've been working in this, this area for years. 100% emotion will always trump intellect. If you know that you should do something, but you feel actually, no, I don't feel good about that, I feel better about this, then that's the thing you're going to do. So similarly, when problems come, when our emotions are high, it's difficult to think straight. But we need to, at that point, Again, another, another uh, scripture is Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I, I, I've always loved that scripture, but it's only struck me in, in recent weeks, the chronology of it. It's be still and know that I am God. It's not know that I am God and then be still. It's be still. That's what comes first. It's almost telling us, calm down. Calm down first. Because the problem with this is if we're in that panic mode, if all that's in our mind is flashing lights and sirens, we're not going to hear God's voice above all that. And it's not always easy, I understand. It's not always easy to go to God when things are chaotic. And sometimes things are going to be chaotic. But we can do that. We are privileged enough. We get to do that. We get to pray and be in the presence of God. A key point, though, is that none of this means anything without belief. 
if we don't truly know God, if we don't truly trust in God, none of this, this isn't a promise for us. Take heart. I have overcome the world. If you don't believe who the I is, if you don't believe that Jesus overcame the world either, if you don't believe that, you don't get to take heart because there's nothing to take heart in. You're not leaning on anyone. Okay, so the next point. How do we take heart? By changing our perspective. Okay, we need to accept that suffering and trials are a part of life. And it's not passive acceptance, it's not defeatism, it's just understanding and accepting the reality of what's happening and giving it to God. Accepting our responsibility in resolving the problem and then trusting that God will, will make a way even though there doesn't seem to be a way. Jesus doesn't remove the suffering from us, but he removes its teeth, he removes its claws. We still mourn and we still weep. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 tells us, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. That's the key. We have hope. We suffer like the rest of the world, Things are unfair. Things happen to us just like the rest of the world. But unlike them, we have hope. The one thing we never need to do as Christians is despair. I'm going to say that again. The one thing we never need to do as Christians is despair. I phrase that very precisely because I'm not saying we don't despair. I'm saying we don't need to. There may well be times in our lives when we are despairing, where we can't take it anymore, or we feel that we can't take it anymore. But we know we have the Holy Spirit living within us, and we know we will always be given everything we need to get through whatever's happening. Joshua 23.8 tells us, Hold fast to the Lord your God. We need to remember that it's not just us doing the holding. There's that great saying, never forget in the dark what God has shown you in the light. There is light at the end of the tunnel, but we still need to get through the tunnel. It doesn't get shorter, but we do have the assurance that we're being given everything we need to get to the end as quickly as possible, as safely as possible. There's a great image of, of, of God using all the individual strands in our life and, and weaving them together, creating, again, creating this masterpiece. But every strand is necessary, the negative experiences as well as the positive experiences. So I'm pausing because I wasn't sure whether to talk about this. So anger, we don't talk about anger very much as Christians. I think it's natural sometimes. If you're given horrific news, if you're told, you know, someone, a family member you thought was cured, they're not. The cancer's come back. Whatever. There are plenty of times as Christians where I think it's justified to feel anger. However, Something that's really important to, to remember is, okay, let me come back to that. 
Very often, atheists will talk about how Christianity is a crutch, how it makes life easier. It's, it's, it's almost a cop-out. I don't agree with that. I think if you're an atheist and bad things happen to you, if you just believe that's part of the natural way of things, if you just believe that life is random and that's how it is, I feel that's easier to, to, to cope with than believing that the God that you love and who you believe loves you is allowing some horrific thing to happen. I think that's tough. I think that's harder. There may be times where you are, you are on your knees and you're praying to God and you're saying, please, either take this away from me or just give me whatever it is I need to get through it. You're begging. That should be a very familiar image to us. Because Jesus himself, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was arrested, says a very similar thing. Take this cup from me. But he also says, thy will be done. He also says, essentially, if this is what I have to go through, if this is necessary, then we'll do it. Let's do it. I think anger's okay, but I think it needs to be, we need to be careful with it. There's this great story, there's a theology student, and he gets up in class and he says, um, he says, Job said all this mean stuff to God, and Job's the good guy. And there have been all these atheist philosophers over the years who have said very similar things to Job, but they're the bad ones. Why are they the bad ones? And his tutor says very simply, the difference is, Job was saying it to God. Essentially, it was a prayer. Job was saying to God, I feel like this. I feel angry, or I feel confused, or this is painful. It's okay to be angry, but we have to stay in relationship with God. So we can be angry or frustrated or confused, but we have to keep talking to God about it. We don't get to shut down our side of the relationship. It won't do any good anyway. We have to remember who God is. We have to have that fear of God. So anger's okay, but it needs to be measured. So lastly, how do we, how do we take heart? I would say we take heart with each other. I used to be one of those people who thought you don't really need to go to church to be a, a Christian. I never wanted to go to church. There are people at church. Have you met people? <laughs> Good luck with that. So, but we do. We need each other. We need each other. And over the past few weeks, um, people have really helped me, both in church and out, outside of church. Phone calls, messages, meeting up. Uh, one of the times Anthony wasn't well, Joe stayed home with him. My wife stayed home with him um, on a Sunday. And I did not want to come to church. I did not want to come here. Uh, and, you know, people ask me, how, how is everything? And I was telling them, uh, you know, how bad things are. And um, the amount of support that people gave was amazing, though. It was amazing. Isla stood up and, and prayed for Anthony from the front. Um, other people just were, were kind of, were around us. They were texting me and Joe. They were calling us. Especially when we suffer, we need each other. 
There's, there's this great Rick Warren quote that says, it's not the fellowship of success that binds us together. It's the fellowship of suffering. As Christians, we are the body of Christ. And Jesus Christ has overcome the world. So we have our part to play. And I think part of that is supporting each other, is lifting each other up, as well as allowing others to support us and to lift us up. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So this is part of how we take heart. We need to be around other Christians who will encourage us and support us. And in time, we ourselves can do the same for others. We might even be comforting the same people who comforted us in the first place. Okay, I'm very aware of the time, and I've spoken a lot. So let's be still for a little while. If you want to close your eyes, feel free. As ever, if you want to stand up, that's fine. Put your hands up. Whatever is best for you, whatever feels most comfortable for you. We've all come here with stuff today. We're all at some level of trouble, whether that's the smallest discomfort or whether it's, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain. We're all somewhere. So if we can just be still and try and... Um, just focus on God. Okay, if I could call Kofi and the band up, please. And we can just stay in this place.
Feel the warmth. 